You're now listening to Sanity at the Movies, Dad Son Edition. Hello, everybody. We've got something special for you today. So, Sanity at the Movies has reached out to some friends, some internet friends. We are going to have some guest stars on the show who are going to talk about different movies that are their answers to the question, what is one movie that every dad should watch with his son and why? So we have some really fun people we'll be talking that through with in these episodes. I think we'll be dropping them in between our regular episodes, fitting these in between. Today, we had the pleasure of talking to a gentleman whose internet handle is Foundation Father, or M.A. Franklin. You can find him on Twitter at Foundation Dads. This guy's absolutely fantastic. I was saying to Jake the other day, one of the hard truths of life is that the person who frees you from the Matrix is not necessarily the same person who's going to teach you how to live in Zion. And what I meant by that, if you can bear with the 23-year-old metaphor, there's a lot of these gurus online that help young men in particular break the chains of the matriarchy, understand the world that they're living in. But many of these people, take Andrew Tate as an extreme example, are not actually godly men that are going to help you thrive, that are going to help you be a responsible man in your real life. And so you might find somebody that you like, a Jordan Peterson, an Andrew Tate, whatever. And I realize there's varying degrees of goodness with those guys. But you might find somebody who's really helpful in just getting you to take off your blinders, see the truth of the world we live in. But then are they someone who's actually going to help you grow as a Christian, as a father, as a man? Well, Foundation Dads is one of the best. And I encourage you to... Check him out on Twitter. He does threads and things on, as he says, household leadership, ancient wisdom, and home education. His thing is helping dads forge masculine sons and cultivate feminine daughters, become better fathers. And he just has a lot of really good material, which you can find on Twitter at Foundation Dads. You can also check him out at mafranklin.com or foundationfather.com. I would encourage you to check all of these out. And we had a really fun, nerdy, as you'll see, discussion on a movie that I'd never seen, but I really liked, which was How to Train Your Dragon. And so without further ado, we'll go to it. You'll hear me, you'll hear Jake, you'll hear Ben, as usual, but you'll also hear a gentleman who goes by the name of M.A. Franklin. And he actually didn't tell me I had to beep out his real name when we said it, but I just thought it'd be more fun if I beeped out his real name. So no one will ever know the mysterious identity of M.A. Franklin. But he's a cool dude. We had a good discussion, and I hope you enjoy it, and I hope you enjoy as we do a few more of these in the future. God bless. Here we go. We are joined by M.A. Franklin today to answer the question, what is one movie every boy should see with his dad and why? And so what is your answer to this question? How to Train Your Dragon. How to Train Your Dragon. A classic that I did not take seriously at all because it looked like another piece of DreamWorks schlock. And for years, people have been telling me to watch it. And I finally caught up with it 
the other day and it rocks. And I'm only sorry to hear that the sequels are utter garbage. Is this true? They have the same animation production values, but not the same storytelling chops. You know, it has this weird creeping pantheism that it just gets icky in some places. It's very bizarre. But the first one's awesome. What is awesome about why? What made you pick this movie for this particular subject? Yeah. So I think the central relationship in it is the father and the son. And it doesn't depict the father as some overbearing tyrant. Stoic, the vast, is actually courageous. He, he's not wrong in wanting to protect his village. Like all those instincts are good and he's very good at it. And he is someone to look up to. And Hiccup obviously looks up to him. But the central conflict is them not really listening to each other. So at the beginning, Stoic is telling him, you don't have what it takes to be a dragon slayer or to kill dragons. Your, your gifts lie other places. And he is 100% correct. <laughs> but Hiccup desperately wants his approval. He wants the village's approval, so he doesn't listen to him. And then it happens later where Stoic does listen to him, and Hiccup does listen to his advice, but then they, they're both stubborn about it, and they both talk over each other, and they stop listening again. So Stoic agrees for, to send him to dragon training. And then Hiccup agrees that, you know, you're right. Maybe there's some bread-making Vikings or some other thing I can give my gifts to, but it's too late. And that's what kicks off the rest of the conflict. And so that's really the whole thing, is the relationship between these two and the expectations and how to overcome them in some ways while, without destroying that relationship. Now, there are plenty of estranged father movies i mean that's like every year you're gonna have a movie with an estranged father i think you were already touching on this but what is it that makes this one special or better or not terrible what it fundamentally treats the relationship as something good and to be desired and and stoic's not wrong he's not a buffoon he's competent he is someone to look up to hiccup is absolutely right to look up to his father in several ways and the dark night of the soul moment is when Stoic says, you're not a Viking. You're not my son. That is the worst thing that happens to Hiccup in the movie is his father disowning him. And I, I think that's, it's a powerful scene and it's a powerful moment he has to get over. And it comes to a good resolution where they both where Stoic is still given some great scenes at the end where he realizes he's been a fool and he's going to try to sacrifice himself for the rest of the Vikings to get to the ships and then he apologizes to his son for his stubbornness and then Hiccup apologizes back because he wasn't faultless either and there's that quick restoration before Hiccup goes on to save the day and you know does it in a way that Stoic could be proud of anyway I mean it requires phenomenal courage and guts so it's sort of a perfect unity of both worlds at the end yeah well my far and away my favorite thing and something that was completely unexpected to me and obviously spoilers folks if you haven't figured that out by now and haven't figured that out over the years of listening to our podcast but he loses his leg yes there's actually like some real sacrifice some real victory comes at a cost which i find sorely lacking from so many modern movies from i mean i never saw frozen 2 but people told me in frozen 2 that the sisters have some kind of a separation or something i don't know some magical one of them has to go into fairyland or something and then by the end credits they're visiting each other again yeah so many movies i've often complained about the harry potter franchise even even though you lose a lot of 
likable, lovable, supporting characters and stuff, I still just always have this feeling that Harry didn't actually have to sacrifice enough in order to earn his all was well moment. There's no ring bears dilemma like Frodo has for the rest of his life. Yeah, exactly. Frodo, it's just like the mm-hmm. classic Campbellian kind of monomyth thing. You cannot go back to the village after you've saved the village. Actually, like Frodo will never belong in the Shire. And it's one of the things that is so powerful about the Lord of the Rings. And yeah, I thought that for a little DreamWorks kind of animated film, this movie actually had a lot of extra weight just simply because he lost his leg. I have that hard. I find it, I would find it hard to believe that there wasn't some Christian in the background to some creative ninja doing mm-hmm. something because the whole at the end, he defeats the evil dragon and then he loses his heel. I mean, it's almost too perfect, <laughs> too much of a perfect lineup to not be somewhat intentional by someone somewhere on the team. If it was an accident, that's a ridiculous accident of right of symbol there. Yeah. Yeah. It's always interesting to contemplate whether these things are, I think it is possible sometimes that they're accidents, but they're accidents because God created the world in such a way that it's impossible for people to actually deviate too far from his archetypes, even when they want to. But it sounds like they tried in the sequels, I guess. I don't know anything about this franchise. I've seen them. Jake, have you seen them? I haven't seen the second one, actually. I've seen the third. I just heard enough about the second one that I just never bothered with it. Is the second one like a mom story or something? Is that? I think mm-hmm. it's a mom's story that undoes pretty much everything. And she it undoes just, quite a bit. Yeah. She pretty much, the whole story is that she abandoned Hiccup, essentially. She stole away, but she basically abandons him. And in order to commune with dragons, be the real hero yeah, who's keeping save the, whales. the dragons all at bay or something. She never apologizes yes, to anyone is, for anything. This is great. This is the right thing for her to do yeah. or something. It has it, some good moments, but it, yeah. it retcons. It does some heavy retconning to make certain things work, and it just overall does not work at uh, all. Was it like they didn't have a franchise in mind probably when they made the first one, so they just had to scramble to pretend probably, like everything? I think the books in general, the movie really deviates from the book. And the book is a series, but the movie is not really anything like it. The movie is really its own thing. So they had to come up with something completely new to continue it. They didn't really have any source material after that. Hmm. I should ask you, Jake and Ben, what's your experience with this film and this franchise? I saw this when it first came out and I enjoyed it for all the same reasons that am I allowed to call you on the show? Oh yeah. For all the same reasons that did it's, Rare to get something that's just wholesome and strong with a good father rec- father son reconciliation that doesn't throw dad under the bus. It's just got a lo- it's just had a lot of that to it um, that I enjoyed. If you guys hadn't brought up the cost, it is one of the dumbest things about anything today. Is no movie has any cost. No, uh, th- there's never any sacrifice. There's never any. It's just the sort of faux. Hey, look, Tolkien mastered the art of eucatastrophe, and we can do that too without ever providing any real sort of final costs like Tolkien gave us with Frodo not being able to stay in the Shire. We'll get we'll give you all the feels that somebody's gonna die and then everybody gets everything all together all at once at the end of a of a movie. So I appreciated it on that level too. The sequels I never I don't 
I think I saw the third one. I can't. I can tell you anything about it. I don't remember it. But this the this first How to Train Your Dragon is one that we do come back to as a family from time to time. So that's my history with it. Yeah, and I saw it in the theater. I guess I've seen them all in the theaters. But I until a couple nights ago, I hadn't watched it again ever. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. The flying sequences are still some of my favorite flying dogfight type things. I think they're pretty great. You get the same kind of little high that you do in Star Wars or Top Gun Maverick or something. Well, it just doesn't... It, as a movie, it doesn't make many missteps. So it's got good action. It's got a strong score. But it just has a lot going for it. And even if you want... Somebody could say, well, none of that really adds up to making it a truly great top-tier classic. Somebody could, I can see somebody make the, the, making that argument. But there's really nothing about the movie not to like. I think it all adds up to be something pretty great and special and fun. What I remember about number two, seeing it in the theaters, is that it felt like it upped its game in most respects until you, the mom stuff sort of sinks in as you go and you're waiting for her to apologize or for the movie to hold her accountable. But when it never does, it's such a moral failure on the part of the movie. It's so gross that whatever else is good in terms of the way that they ramp up excitement and action and humor, and this is just my memory, it's been years since I saw it in theaters, and I was like, man, this movie is upping its game, but it doesn't matter. It just guts the movie of all of its likability and all of its value. Yeah, and the most the first one takes for the dragons is, and you get it at the very end, the best part about living in Burke are the pets. These are just awesome pets. Mm -hmm. But starting with the second one, it's like these are special creatures that almost deserve their own particular place, maybe alongside humanity. And they are, and it's very strange how it starts to flip that relationship between where it's just a cool reflection on the nature of how close we can be with our pets and how useful and fun and awesome they could be versus, no, we're dedicating our entire lives to rescuing these animals because they're more important than us. And it's a very bizarre twist. Yeah. Yeah, I kept waiting for part one to do that because I'm so used to that sort of thing from modern Hollywood. So I was waiting for the big dragons are people to scene. Yeah, I mean, Toothless is absolutely adorable, but she's just a cool pet. So that's what you get in the second and third movie. They are almost gods (laughs) in the third one, I think, (laughs) at some point. They can really teach us how to live. Oh, no. Which, I mean, at some level, you can look to the ants, but, I mean, come on. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, I'd watch a movie. They're just terrified creatures in service of a monster, and they get freed. And then they are, they still need a master. And mm-hmm. so, man is now the master of the dragons. That's mm-hmm. the way the first one goes. And then from there. It- I think you could pick a little bit at Astrid's portrayal. Yes, I was you about know, to you say get, that. You, you get the... Classic warrior. Sort of, yeah, the classic warrior. The classic badass, type, badass woman. Yeah. Yep. But they do something pretty clever with her because as soon as Hiccup uh, asserts his mission and asserts that he's willing to risk everything to accomplish that mission, she just melts. Mm-hmm. And from that point on, she's his. And she just well, listens to him and pretty much follows his lead for the rest of the movie. And it's just classic what you're going to see in any old school sort of warrior chick type thing. She will be as awesome as she needs to be in service of the mission of her man. And so she's feminine with respect to our hero. I think the minute that Hiccup steps up and proves that he actually 
is a hero that's worthy of her. She, like you said, she melts and she she conforms, and she can still be a badass chick riding her dragon, but right. she is she all in service of the mission of her man. You know, with this movie's 2010, so this would be the same as Scarlett Johansson's Black Widows popping up on the scene. Mm-hmm. I think around this time, you still see that sort of thing happening in the 2010s, but fading fast. Force Awakens was 15. It sounds right. I sort of marked that as a turning point in terms of we're just going to take the male hero role and stick Daisy Ridley in there. And I realized there are things before that are very much that way. How to Train Your Dragon does a pretty good job of appeasing both segments of its audience. It appeases us because it's telling a very traditional story with a very traditional arc, but then it appeases Pagans because it has this badass chick, which is still dumb, by the way. But Force Awakens is like, we don't care about even the bones of our story paying any kind of lip service to the way God made the world. Yeah, when you turn that corner on the scale of a blockbuster, that's where you really have to mark it from. Because you're going to always, you can go back, way back, 50 years and find that sort of thing. But in the mainstream blockbuster filmmaking, you still always had to pay some lip service to the woman has to be oriented to her man, no matter how much we power her up. And now we just deconstruct it all. So I was watching in one of my feeds, there's a new Chris Evans movie with Anna de Armas, who Anna de Armas is a fine actress, but she's also a little twig, frail waif of a woman. And the whole conceit of this movie is she is a badass super spy chick and Chris Evans is the side piece. They hook up and he's head over heels in love with her and trying to find her and follow her. And turns out she's a badass spy chick. And now he's in the way and she's got to protect him and complete her mission. And he's got to try to figure out how to help her on it. And of course, they pick Chris Evans for it. And of course, Chris Evans would go for it. It's like Daniel Craig on his apology to her for being James Bond. Chris Evans is on his apology to her for being Captain America. And it feels like he will be for the rest of his career. Well, any other reservations or anything to be wary about approaching this movie? Astrid is actually the only thing that I can really think of. Yeah, that's the only thing that comes to mind I mean, if you wanted to... I remember people talking about this when the movie first came out. The Just typologically, the dragon is not something to be tamed or to be friend. And so there is a typological subversion in the fact that we're using dragons as our central story conceit. So you could say that that's working on some level in terms of the grammar of how God made the world to be subversive instead of destroying Mm -hmm. the dragon, even though there's a master dragon that we're destroying. On the level of typology, it actually plays into this sort of faux-manosphere type of what you actually have to do is master your shadow side type of a thing and get your shadow self trained and discipline your shadow self to work towards you instead of kill your sin channel your vice, channel your aggression, channel your rage, whatever, in the direction of your larger goals and make your vices serve you. But that's a really high level. I think it's perfectly fine to enjoy this movie as a fairy tale. Yeah, I mean, I think... A bit of fun. Yeah, I I would say the same thing I would say about Harry Potter. It is perhaps unfortunate that Harry Potter uses some of the semiotics of sorcery to tell its little Star Wars adventure story. But do I think it's actually indulging in 
black magic, you know, like Old Testament sort of stuff that's forbidden. No, it's just a story about what if people could fly and what if they could shoot lasers out of sticks. But you do have to be careful with children because they can be a gateway drug to the real thing. But I think kids are also not stupid. And you can have those conversations with kids of a certain age and say, hey, we don't want you to be a magician. Dragons are bad. Satan is the great dragon. So what kind of conversations would you have with a son like you? You finish watching this movie and what do you say? You've got three kids? Three kids. You've got 12-year-old daughter and then 10 and 8 boys. Nice. I've honestly had that same conversation you were talking about, Jake, about the symbolism of the dragon. (laughs) That conversation with them before. But yeah, overall, because they do kill the dragon at the end, it's not really leading into that symbology that much at all but it is something to be aware of for sure i also just talk about conversations and listening (laughs) just you can talk to me about anything Mm -hmm. and it might seem like i'm pushing you off and i don't mean to do that but you can trust me and hopefully i've acted in a way that they do feel that they can trust me to talk to me about certain things um because that's kind of the whole central conflict of the movie but yeah Yeah, it was nice to see the dad have some dignity and actually bring some of whatever is good. I don't usually like him in anything, but whatever, whatever is good about the Gerard Butler uh, energy, he's allowed to actually have that as opposed to what I would be tempted to do if I hired Gerard Butler to be in my movie, which would be to lean into everything that's ridiculous about that man's public persona. This is Sparta as he kicks a dragon off the. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. (laughs) Just lame roided out make sure it's faux masculine all in slow motion (laughs) yeah for whatever reason i was watching some clips from 300 just the other day because i'm a masochist and man what a ridiculously silly (laughs) (laughs) it's because we had that whole big conversation about in praise of Zack snyder being a man who has something to say and a little bit of vision and you don't have to like what he wants to say or the questions he wants to ask. You don't have to like how he does it or anything, but in the desert that is mm-hmm. modern movie making, somebody who has something to say and a bit of his own style is refreshing, even if it's all terrible. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like saying Andrew Tate is refreshing in a world of effeminacy. Like, <laughs> right. Ugh, this guy sucks, but you know what? I'll take him over. A word I can't say on the podcast. Kamala Harris, that's what you're going to say. Yeah, I'll take him over Mm -hmm. Kamala Harris. Any final thoughts on how to train your dragon, gentlemen? I I will admit I was not looking forward to this movie just because I hate DreamWorks. This is DreamWorks, right? Like, they're the Mm -hmm. worst. When I think of them, I think of Shrek and Shark Tale and all this kind of postmodern, ironic, we're so cool, here's all these references for adults. I hate their sense of humor. I hate their whole sensibility. It's... Their inability so, to tell a straightforward story for kids. Yeah. I mean, I was shocked sincerity. at how this, this isn't had, that, though. It's got patter. Everybody's kind of got their, like, their little patter, which is fine. Pretty, pretty inoffensive. Yeah. Pretty but cute. For, for, like, a DreamWorks thing, it's like, we wouldn't have to see, like, a parody of whatever the rap star that was popular at that time or something. So, I was very pleasantly surprised by this movie. Or maybe not super surprised, because a lot of people that I respect and said it was great, but I just never pulled the trigger on it because it's it's goes along with a lot of things that I don't like. I will say I, I saw this in theaters originally in 3D, and I did not enjoy it as much until a few more viewings afterward. And probably because I was just in a different stage of life. I didn't even mm-hmm. have kids. I don't think. Sure. Yeah. And 
where she was pregnant at coming with her first. And so that, that makes a difference. But I also, I would hope I've matured a little bit since yeah. then. I can appreciate better movies on their own terms. It's been 13 but, years. Yeah. Now, is The Empire Strikes Back your favorite movie? I'm just wondering because there's a poster behind you. I don't know if it's my favorite. It is one I return to a lot. It might be my wife's favorite Star Wars movie. And so that's one reason we return to it <laughs> more often than not. Sure. But every time I see it, I'm always pleasantly surprised at how well it's written. And just yeah. the back and forth. It's like, wow, we can do this well. What a surprise. It's great. What's your, I mean, what's I- your favorite, favorite movie? Oh, man. Favorite, favorite movie. Honestly, How to Train Your Dragon would be in the top five. I don't know if I'd call it my favorite. It, it would be up there, though. What are some other things that might be in the top five without naming a favorite favorite? Let's see. Iron Giant. Oh, I, yeah. I enjoy. Excellent. Wally. I, I enjoy more and more. They're all animated movies. I do like some classic Disney. I mean, Beauty and the Beast and The Lion King is sort of a pinnacle of that form. But Agreed. I'm, I'm trying to think. It's a rainy uh, Saturday afternoon. There's nowhere to be. You just want to relax and enjoy a movie. What do you oh, put yeah. on? Okay, so in terms of action, probably Edge of Tomorrow, I, I keep going back to a lot. Oh, that's a fun choice. Let's see. Comedy, I, the one I'd return to most is probably About a Boy, the Hugh Grant. Never seen that. That's a great uh, movie. Yeah. It's a good classic comedy with an actual good arc. All the Indiana Jones movies, I grew up watching Last Crusade, so I, I have a special place in my heart for that one. What's one movie that we or our listeners are not likely to have seen that we should see that you've seen something outside the box. I would say this is going to be strange. I would say star Trek six, the undiscovered country. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's probably the best star Trek movie. And it's actually a good movie in its own right. That's another one I grew up watching because my mom had a friend in college who was actually in that movie. He's one of the Klingons who gets his arm blown off. That's fun. So it's nice. cool, cool, cool. But it's actually, you know, as I've approached it as an adult, it's pretty solid movie. You got Christopher Plummer saying Christopher Shakespeare. Plummer. Yeah, in the original Klingon. Yeah. You got the people getting shot with lasers and then their, their blood is in zero gravity Klingon. Mm-hmm. If you like zero gravity Klingon blood, and who doesn't? Yeah. You have a mystery. You have a trial. So it's like a detective movie plus an adventure movie plus a trial movie all shaped into one, all with James T. Kirk's trademark style. Yep. And, and, and you'll learn a thing or two about racism. That's yes. A- <laughs> it, it does something that not many people are brave enough to do. Hey, this character, this beloved character you've played all your life and you're going to be known for till the end of time, we're going to highlight his racism. Um <laughs> And we're going to do it in actually not a terrible way. Yeah, <laughs> so, and not great. be too preachy about it either. So. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. I've not seen that. It probably is the best of the original Star Trek. Well, I mean, Wrath of Khan. You can't Ra- Wrath, Wrath of, of Khan's Khan. the one that I've seen and yeah. kind of sticks in my, my head. But Well, the odds Same famously director. suck. One, three, and five are all not as good. Slash some of them terrible. But two, four, and six are all great, and then it's just which flavor you prefer. If you like silly Star Trek, then 4 is great. Two. If you like... No. But, yeah, I was going to say, you realize 4 has whales. Okay, but you do. You totally understand what you're saying. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm, I'm pro <laughs> 4. Right. I still right. say, yeah. uh, you know, hello, computer, or whatever, when my computer yeah. doesn't work. Transparent um, aluminum? So are you a Trekkie across the board, or just like a OG no. Trek? 
No, I haven't OG even seen the movies. original series. It's really just the movies. I haven't huh. really seen many Next Generation stuff. Uh, That's I'm, I'm exactly the same way. I grew up watching the six Captain Kirk movies, and I've seen very little other Star Trek. I mean, I've seen a handful of episodes of Next Gen, I guess, but I don't know mm-hmm. that I've ever even watched an OG episode. Yeah, I don't think so. Either. I had watched nothing but a handful of the Next Generation episodes on one of those, like, oh, it's Friday night, and I'm at my mom's, and she doesn't have cable. So uh, what could we possibly watch? It's 10 o'clock, and I guess we can watch a rerun of The Next Generation. But in college, my favorite course that I ever took was called Star Trek and Religion, and it got written up in like USA Today or Time Magazine or something like that in a list of stupid classes, Star Trek and Religion. This is what you're being taught. But it was, a, it was an awesome class, and we would spend... It was two days a week, and we would, like, first day of the week, one day in class, we would have readings from whether it was Marx or Freud or somebody like that, and then we would watch an episode of the original series or something else that corresponded and was basically just, especially in the original series, just Roddenberry packaging in a pop culture way, the central message of Das Kapital or something like that. And we'd have a discussion about how Roddenberry and how pop culture can package and use media tv to shape a message and it was a really fun and then we'd write a paper every week and that was a really fun cool class that it did not make me a huge trekkie <laughs> that's amazing that's all i have to say about that i'm so happy that the movie that you thought of for undiscovered class was <laughs> the undiscovered country a movie that <laughs> should be a more discovered country for people because absolutely uh, i haven't seen that movie for probably 25 years but I really loved that one as a kid. I used to play, like I had toys and I would do scenes from the undiscovered country, oh, man. which is the dorkiest thing in the world. But <laughs> yeah. I thought it was there's cool. almost no real action in it. There's no well, action hero necessarily, but th- they blow up Christopher Plummer, spoiler alert. Yeah. And he's been saying Shakespeare for the whole time. And so the torpedo is coming at him and he doesn't know whether it's going to hit him. And he says to be or not to be and then the torpedo <laughs> blows him up and the answer is not want, <laughs> yeah if you, if you want to see uh yep, christopher Plummer hamming it up it is <laughs> it is worth it it is crime <laughs> yeah i would say wow christopher Plummer is actually a better hammy klingon than christopher lloyd was in <laughs> star trek 3 yes they both play sadistic klingon generals or whatever but christopher Plummer is actually the superior one so christopher lloyd you can't help but seeing Doc in, in Klingon makeup. And it's just you so can. bizarre. You can. It's, it's just, it's very strange. <laughs> yep. That's crazy. All right, folks, that was our discussion with Foundation Father. I encourage you to check him out on Twitter at Foundation Dads or go to his websites, foundationfather.com or mafranklin.com. 